creation. But as far as our ability to bring life out of nothing, that cannot be done. We can reproduce, and that's a minor miracle. But even reproduction is not out of nothing. But God spoke and the world came into being. He crafted man out of the dust. And then he breathed the breath of life into him and he became a living creature. If Jesus is equal to the Father, as he claims in chapter 5 of John, which we have been walking through, then it stands to reason he has the power that God has to bring life out of nothing. This is exactly the point that he makes as he confronts the skepticism of his opponents. Jesus asserts his power over life and death because he is equal with the Father. And Jesus explains that his power to resurrect begins in the present, but will be only fully realized in the last day. And because he is equal with the Father, Jesus can give life and he can also bring judgment. And although every person will experience a physical resurrection, some will face judgment while others will pass from death to life. And the determining factor is faith. So this morning, if if you have a Bible or you're able, please stand together with me as we read from the Gospel of John. In chapter 5, we're looking at verse 24 through 30. We stand out of reverence and awe because these are the very words of God. Jesus is speaking. And He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your Son, Jesus, co-equal with you, who is ruling and reigning even now at your right hand. And this morning as we come to see who He is, that He has the power over life and death, may we be those who hear His words and believe. May we be those who pass from death to life. For we pray this in His name. And Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Just to remind you where we're at in the story. Jesus intentionally sought out a man who was lame for 38 years. He found him at Bethesda. And he healed him, but he didn't heal him in just any ordinary manner. 
he told him to stand up and to take up his bed and to walk. And of course, he didn't do this on Monday. He didn't do it on Tuesday. He did it on the Sabbath. And this man is seen walking in the temple courts carrying his bed. And it provokes a response. Remember, he says, I don't know who healed me. And then Jesus comes to him later and he tells him, you have been made well. Go and sin no more so that nothing worse may befall you. And then the Jews begin to get agitated as they see in this act a breaking of the Sabbath, not only somebody who's willing to break the Sabbath themselves, but who's willing to compel someone to break the Sabbath. And they begin to get angry at Jesus. And from that very moment, they begin to try to persecute him. And Jesus, in defense of his actions, says, My father is working until now, and I am working. And the Jews hear in that statement an identification of him, Jesus, a man born of Joseph at a particular town, making himself equal with God the Father. Blasphemy! This is the kind of thing that will get you killed. And Jesus, in the rest of chapter 5, which we have been unfolding throughout this month, has been having a conversation with his opponents about why his claim to be equal with the Father is true. And this morning, as we come to this section, what makes Jesus equal with the Father is that he has the power over life and death. And in order for anyone to pass from life, from death into life, You must believe in Him. You must believe not only in the words that He speaks, but the testimony of His Father that He is, in fact, His Son and equal with Him. And in this, uh, we're going to return uh, towards the end to verse 24. We're going to be looking at the, the statement that Jesus makes in verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And Jesus, to defend this statement, gives two reasons. Two reasons why He has the authority to speak, and the dead hear Him and come to life and respond. One, because He has life in and of Himself. He is God. Just as the Father has life, He has life. And two, He has the authority to execute judgment as the Son of Man. And we'll be looking in detail, unpacking what it means that Jesus identifies Himself as the Son of Man using Daniel 7, which we read earlier. And then the implications of the power over life and death are fleshed out in verses 28 through 30. And we'll close with those things. So now... We want to unpack what it means that Jesus gives life now. An hour is coming and is now here, Jesus says. This this expression, it, it frames his ability to give life to something dead that has a beginning, right? He says, there is an hour is coming, that's future, and is now here, breaking in to the present moment. Jesus can speak to the dead and they hear His voice and they respond. So what kind of life is Jesus giving to the dead right now? 
And how do they receive that life when they are dead? Dead people are notoriously boring. They don't do anything. They lay there in the grave. And because they're dead, they're not alive. That might be radical, but they can't hear. How can Jesus speak to the dead and they hear him? Is this like, you know, the horror movies where the guy's talking in the graveyard and and then all of a sudden the skeleton hand pops out of the dirt and it's creepy and he begins to crawl his way out? Is that what's happening in this scene? Well, kind of. (laughs) Sort of. He does say that those in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. But this this, uh, speaking that Jesus, this authoritative voice that he speaks to as the Son of God to the dead, is not just the physical dead, but those who are spiritually dead as well. The death that Jesus is speaking of is much more pervasive than just those in the grave. It extends to all of humanity descended from Adam. It's a, a spiritual death, a separation from God in sin. One that extends to the physically living as well as the physically dead. I think Paul gives a clear, the clearest illustration of this in Ephesians chapter 2. And he, he says this to the, uh, the church in Ephesus. He says, And you, saints, were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. Wait a second, dead people don't walk in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is saying that you, saints at Ephesus, And by extension, all of you were dead in sin. And you were walking about and carrying out your life in the passions of the flesh. Your death, your deadness did not extend to just the physical. That is true. You will die. We are all trending toward the grave. But your death begins much earlier than that. Your death begins in your separation from God in sin. But Paul goes on. He doesn't leave the saints there. He said, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And you can read in what Paul says, resurrected us up with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice that it's those dead people who were living in their sin, 
They're not physically dead. They're spiritually dead. That God made alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now. Now they are participating in the resurrection of Jesus Christ by His grace. They're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's so that in the ages to come, He can continue to show His immeasurable grace towards them. When does your resurrection life start? Now. It starts right now. It started 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. And you are hidden in Him. Paul is saying, you were dead. You were the one that Jesus is speaking about when He said, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead, you, will hear the voice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Those who hear will live. But how, how did Jesus accomplish this? How is he able to speak to the dead? How can the dead hear him if they are dead? He accomplished this, of course, by voluntarily taking on, on himself the sins of his people. Suffering the wrath of his father. Entering into death. He takes on death himself. And finally, it rises again through the power of an incorruptible life. He defeats death and he gains authority over it. What Paul means is that when Christ rose from the dead to new life, you rose up with him. What is true of Jesus is true of you. Even though you have not yet experienced the resurrection from the grave physically, Jesus has secured that life and is giving that to you in a spiritual resurrection. It is this resurrection that is the precursor to our physical resurrection. And we'll determine what happens when that day comes. But before we, and, and what we call this, what we talk about it as theologians, we call this the new birth. When you are born again, you are brought out of death into life. We talked a lot about that when we looked at John chapter 3. Jesus, by His sovereign power, speaks and hearts are transformed. And we'll look more closely at that in a moment when we look at verse 24. But I want you to see that this resurrection power, this resurrection life begins now, but is not yet fully realized until the end. Jesus does also give physical life, calling those out of their grave, but not yet. And this is that distinction between the already, what is true of you now. You are resurrected with Christ. And what will be in the future, you will share in His immeasurable grace and mercy. It would be quite a sight to see someone emerging from the grave. I don't think CGI can really do justice to how momentous it will be when the dead and buried come out of their tombs. And when the sea gives up her dead. And they all assemble before Jesus to receive his judgment. I mean you think it's amazing when a man who has no tendons or ligaments. His muscles are completely atrophied. Because he's been laying on the ground for 38 years. All of a sudden springs up. 
Now imagine when God reconstitutes a body who's been in the ground for millennia. And not just a generic body, but Moses and David with all their particularities. And they become out of the grave and they live. That is the power of God. Inconceivable to me. And that's the power that Jesus possesses. And I don't want you to miss this. It means that the life that Jesus gives is not merely spiritual. Jesus is not just a good teacher giving you some good tips on how to live a life that doesn't suck. That's not what Jesus came to do. He came to give the power of life. And he did it, of course, through his message. But if you really followed his teaching, he calls you to die. He calls you to follow him and to take up your cross and die. You live by dying. Now, I don't know about you. That's not a great PR move. That's not how you found a movement that is uh, like the world is founding, right? You promise them all kinds of stuff. You tell them they're going to have their best life now. You don't say that the rewards are waiting off in the future. And right now, I want you to die. But that's what Jesus does. And the reason he can do that is because we have the hope of the resurrection. Not just the spiritual It's not just that Jesus came to enlighten your mind, to make you think better and be a better person in this world. That is true, but that is not it. He also came to raise you up from the dead and to give you life eternal. The spiritual beginning of life he gives will end in a realized physical resurrection. And if you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. If you do not believe that Jesus will raise you up bodily at the last day, then you are not a Christian and you're not following Jesus. Not least because you're calling Jesus a liar. What he said right here, you hear the words of Jesus and believe him who sent me. Christ will come. We've confessed it this morning and we've been confessing it for thousands of years. Christ will come to judge the living and the dead and we look for the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We just confess that. Do you believe it? Amen. Amen. The question is how? How can Jesus do this? These are bold claims. Jesus is saying, I can speak to the dead and they will come and have life. They will hear my voice, but how? And he tells us how. Look with me at verse 26. He says, for, for, as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. He begins verse 26 with for. Jesus can give life to the dead because he is life. He possesses life in a way that we cannot even imagine. He identifies himself again with his father. As the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And again, I want to distinguish here. John or Jesus is not saying that the life that he has is granted to the father as if Somehow, Jesus is less than the Father. 
Jesus is not less than the Father because the Son granted him life. What's happening here is that Jesus, in his incarnation, the second person of the Trinity, who is omniscient and omnipresent everywhere, takes on a body and becomes localized in one place. The sovereign Lord, creator of the world, dwelling in a body. And God the Father is saying to the Son, despite the fact that you have taken on flesh and you live in a sinful and broken world, you still have life in yourself, just like you had from all of eternity. Jesus in his humanity possesses the same attributes of his Father, even in his humanity. He emptied himself. He did. And he took on the form of a servant. But he did not empty himself of life and his ability to give life. Jesus is, possesses life as the Father because he is co-equal with the Father. And here we see an important truth. One that Jesus will continue to drive home repeatedly on his way to the cross. The life that Jesus offers is not something outside of him. It's not as if Jesus has a lot of money, he goes to the store, he buys a lot of things, and he gives those things to people. That's not what Jesus is purchasing on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave you himself. In your salvation is possessing Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Theologians speak of justification and sanctification, of adoption and glorification, but none of these benefits are given apart from Jesus Christ. It is in union with Him that we receive all that He offers. Calvin said, We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from Him, all that He has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Is Jesus a figure out there? Is he something that you have an idea about, but he remains out there? Or is he somewhere that's in here because you have believed in him, you have trusted in him, you are united to him in his death? Do you see that when he died, you died? Or is it just an idea Just a picture. Is Jesus out there? Or is he yours? Jesus has life in himself. He can call the dead and they hear his voice because he is life. He is life. And all those who do, all those who hear his voice, He calls to eternal life. But all those who don't, it means that if you reject him and he remains an idea that's outside of you, then you reject life itself. You rejecting Jesus is rejecting life. You cannot have life apart from Jesus Christ. So if you hear his voice and you turn away and you do not believe, you reject life itself but jesus he can raise the dead because he is life in himself but notice also that jesus has the authority to execute judgment he continues in in verse 27 
And he says, and he has given him, that is, the father has given the son authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. At first glance, this seems strange. Wouldn't it have been better for him to say, because I am the son of God, I have power to execute judgment. Why, why would he say son of man when he's talking about the authority to condemn someone? The power to give life is matched only by the power to take it away. Why does Jesus respond this way? And what does it mean by the Son of Man? The Son of Man is, is Jesus' favorite name for Himself. It's used over 80 times in the Gospels, mostly by Jesus. And it has several allusions. First, of course, it reminds us of human, His humanity. He is a Son descended from man. A son of man. He's from the Virgin Mary. But also, more importantly, the Son of Man recalls a particular figure in Daniel 7. And I want to summarize what's happening in Daniel 7. It might seem wild and and crazy. You have all these beasts coming out of the water. And then you have the Ancient of Days. And you have this figure ascending up into the heavens. What is Daniel seeing? Daniel chapter 7, he interprets his own vision. He sees four beasts rising out of the sea in verses 1 through 8, which represent human rulers. And beasts are rulers that are in opposition against God's people. They persecute. They oppress the people of God. And in that way, they're humans that have been disfigured. They're bestial, right? They're like leopards and bears, And they have claws and they tear because they kill the saints. Horns represents power and authority. And a horn, a little horn that has eyes and can speak is a horn that can see. It's a a rule and authority that is self-conscious, self-consciously persecuting the people of God. Rulers. And the the fourth beast is the worst. But however, during the fourth beast's reign, there is a defined figure representing God that sets up a court of judgment in heaven. And the rulers are judged. And the dominion and authority of these bestial rulers is curtailed. It's taken away from them. And it's given to another. One who comes on the clouds of heaven, ascending into the throne room, to the court And he is given authority. And he is a human figure. He arrives in heaven and he is given rule. And unlike the the misshapen beasts who rule, he will rule rightly. He looks like a real man. Not one disfigured and marred by sin. He is like the Son of Man. And the Ancient of Days presents Him with dominion and glory and a kingdom, giving Him authority over all peoples, nations, and languages. And unlike the other rulers, His kingdom will continue forever. By using this term to describe Himself, Jesus is drawing attention to this human being presented to God who is given a kingdom and authority over the entire world. What do kings do? They execute judgment. They have the authority to execute judgment. Jesus, as the Son of God and one with the Father, has life in Himself. 
Jesus, as the Son of Man, has authority and rule to execute judgment. These are the reasons that Jesus gives that he can speak, the dead hear his voice, and he can give them life, either eternal life in his presence forever, or eternal judgment in the hell of judgment forever. But the question is, and we need to return here to verse 24, is how how do we become the kind of people who pass from death to life? How do we be the ones who do not reject the Word who is life itself, who has the power to execute judgment over us? Jesus will go on through the rest of the Gospel to show this kind of power, this kind of authority. He will heal the sick. He'll feed the hungry. He'll even raise the dead. And then when they murder Him for His claims to be the Son of God and Son of Man, He proves every single word that He spoke to be true by rising from the dead. And before He ascends up to His Father, He told His disciples this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that sound like? It sounds like the Son of Man who has been presented to to the Ancient of Days and is given a kingdom. And Jesus is King, ruling and reigning now from heaven with the power to give life and to bring death. And He said in Matthew 10.28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who are you afraid of? Who do you fear? Men may think that they are like God because they have the power to take life, but they prove their ignorance because physical death is not the worst thing. But I fear we have not understood Jesus' teaching here. I especially saw this during COVID. There was a palpable fear to preserve my life at all costs, not recognizing that God is sovereign over every moment of your life. And you cannot add one single day by doing anything. That doesn't mean we're not wise and we don't take precautions. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the spirit of fear that drove us to shut up, worship, to hold ourselves in our homes. And it was an over-reliance on science to save us. And the thinking went that if I take all these supposedly life-saving measures the government pushes on me, then I will prolong my life. But you miss exactly what Jesus is teaching. Do not fear men. They may be able to take your life. But if anything, we just prove that in the face of persecution... We cannot bear up because we give way to the wrong kind of fear, the fear of man. The only way not to give in to the fear of man and the death that is stalking you from your birth is a commitment of faith in the one who has the power over life and death. Jesus in verse 29 seems to distinguish those who inherit resurrection life and those who inherit judgment by what they have done. Is Jesus teaching salvation by works? What is the good done that qualifies some for resurrection life? And it's here now we need to return to verse 24. 
Verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. How do you pass from death to life? And how is that related to the good done by those who receive resurrection life? And here, Jesus ties our salvation to hearing and believing, which Paul later echoes in Romans 10. He says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus preaches and those who hear his message of the gospel and believe they pass from death to life. It is through the preaching that spiritual resurrection takes place. Through hearing the gospel, those who are called by the Spirit hear the voice of Jesus. A possibility only because He has taken away their heart of stone and given them a heart of flesh. God gives the prophet Ezekiel a stunning picture of this in the Valley of Dry Bones. And I won't read that text for you, but God calls Ezekiel into this great valley filled with dead bones everywhere. And he says, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel wisely says, Lord, you know. And he says, Son of man, preach! And then there's a rattling. right? And the bones begin to assemble themselves. And sinews come on. And then flesh. And then God breathes through His Spirit life into them and they come alive. How can Jesus speak and dead hear? Because He gives life to them first. He awakens them from the grave. He takes away the heart of stone and He replaces it with a heart of flesh. Notice that even the belief that Jesus calls you to is not your own. But it's a gift given by God, as Paul said, so that no one may boast. The good that causes some to inherit resurrection life is a gift imputed to you by God. He breathes life into the dead in sin. He clothes them with His righteousness. He gives them His Spirit as a down payment. Through the same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead, the Spirit is at work within you to transform you into the likeness of His Son. You didn't do anything. You might ask, well, well, how do I know if I'm one of those who has he has called and, and given the gift of faith? How do I know if I'm if I'm still dead in my sins or I'm alive in Christ? And the answer is simpler than you think. Do you hear the message that that Jesus died for your sins because you could not pay for them on your own? Do you hear the message that God the Son came and took on flesh and died on a cross for you. And then on the third day rose again. Do you hear that message? And something stirs in your heart. And you say, I don't fully understand it, but I want to know that Jesus. Do you have a desire that draws you to something that even looked foolish to you before? Or is it a message that just sounds impossible? Is it something that just can't be true? There's no way God the Son died for me. Well, brother or sister, then then you are still dead in your sins. And I plead with you 
Hear this message and believe. The Son is co-equal with the Father. He has life in Himself and He has authority to execute judgment. Your salvation is in Him. Meaning that it's not about the quality of your faith or even the quantity, if those are even good ways to think about faith. Rather, faith is merely an instrument that connects you to the one who is life in and of himself. Sometimes Christians mistakenly make faith the work that saves you. Jesus saves you. Your faith is merely your grip holding on to him. Nothing you can do can ever add or take away from his work on your behalf. The Shorter Catechism asks, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. Faith is not working. Faith is receiving and resting. But that does not mean that our faith cannot be tested. That our faith cannot grow. It can. But how? Strangely, through faith's opposite. Doubts and unbelief. Situations will arise coupled with suggestions by our enemy Satan that will cause you to doubt. Maybe you won't doubt that what Jesus said is true. Maybe you'll still believe that the Father sent the Son to die. But just, you won't believe it for you. You won't believe that the Father sent the Son to die for you. And Satan will whisper in your ear, you're not good enough to inherit resurrection life. There's no way that Jesus died for you. Look how hideous you are. Look at your sins. You counter these arguments with with a statement from Luther. He prayed this. Satan, you will not prevail against me when you try to terrify me by setting forth the greatness of my sins and try to bring me into heaviness, distrust, despair, hatred, contempt, and blasphemy against God. On the contrary, when you say I am a sinner, you give me armor and weapons against yourself that with your own sword I may cut your throat and tread you under my feet for Christ. Dined for sinners. As often as you objected, I am a sinner. So often you remind me of the benefits of Christ. My Redeemer on His shoulders and not on mine like all my sins. So when you say I am a sinner, you do not terrify me, but you comfort me immeasurably. Amen. Jesus is resurrection life and He has the authority to execute judgment. He has the authority In this life, because He's equal with the Father. This resurrection life is already breaking into the present evil age through the Spirit of Christ now. Spiritually, we're already seated in the heavenly places with Christ. We've been made new creations. But His resurrection was just the first fruits. The guarantee that more would follow. Those who have have not been born again, who don't have the down payment of of this resurrection life through the Spirit, remain dead in their sins. But those who hear Jesus' words and believe the Father who sent Him pass from death to life, beginning now and culminating in eternal life in the age to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
Our Father in God, we give you thanks for the life that is in your Son, who has authority to execute judgment, who can call us out of the grave, who are dead in our sins and give us life, who has made us alive even now. We are seated, seated with Him in heaven. May we live out of the fullness of that resurrection life as we continue to put to death the deeds of the body. We, we pray, Father, for those who are here who have not heard the voice of Jesus. Open their ears to hear Him speaking to them and to respond in faith. For we pray this in Jesus' name and amen.